everybody. All right. So uh, we are in, as RJ said, we're in First Timothy chapter two. Um, and he gave us a little bit of back uh, backstory or, or uh, context for what's going on, but I'm just going to give a little bit more. Right. So there's there's a group of leaders or teachers who had infiltrated the church in Ephesus. Uh, and they are misleading people about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, whether it was intentional or not, we don't know. But but it was an issue, and so they developed some weird teachings about uh, food and marriage and sex, and, and uh, all of those are things that Paul felt the need to address in this letter. And so they're causing division. They're causing controversy, and. Uh, and so, so far in the letter, Paul has warned about these false teachers. Uh, he's encouraged Timothy, especially, to, to be bold and, and you know, embrace uh, his position of authority in the church. Um, something that apparently he needed to encourage on more than once. You know, he's, I don't think he was an overly bold person by nature, so he needed that encouragement. And then as we got into chapter 2 last week, we saw he, he talked a little bit about what worship should look like. Because apparently what was going on for the most part in the church under these misguided teachers was uh, the church services were full of what, speculation and, and uh, you know, there was a lot of hyper-focus on mysteries and genealogies. And, and uh, we all know people like that, right? That, you know, they, they're always looking for like the, the hidden secret code all the stuff in between the lines. And I'm like, how about you learn the stuff on the lines first, and then we'll look at that. You know? Um, all, you know, they had weird interpretations when it came to the Old Testament. And so Paul says, instead of that, instead of arguing and, and debating these men, what they should be doing is they should be in prayer. Right? They should, they, there's, there's church services, rather than being known for all that stuff, should at first and foremost prayer should be involved and including praying for uh, kings and rulers and people in authority something that was you know they they already had a problem with authority and he says I not only want you to, to learn to respect the authority in your church but I want you to pray for nobody ever likes their president or their king or their ruler you know I want you to pray for those people that you automatically have a distrust with. And his point was this, I think what he's getting at, he says that, you know, basically, God wants everyone to come to faith. He wants everybody to be saved. And your behavior, men, can help that or it can hinder it. And so the last verse we, we saw last week is First Timothy verse 8 it was this um, therefore I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension so you know people can be hindered uh, from coming to Christ when they see division and incongruity between our message and our behavior and everybody has some of them, right? We all uh, say one thing and do another in some aspect of our life. But if if uh, you're preaching a message of 
you're, you're trying to, you know, tell someone about the ultimate form of love and hope, but you're an angry, backbiting person, it's hard for them to buy that. Right? And so Paul was saying, look, men, because this is something you're prone to, uh, you're, our message is one of hope and love, and you've got to fight against your nature to make sure that that's what you're showing people. I want you to, because I want you to pray in sincerity, uh, with faith and love, being transparent, being real, all of that. And then he turns his attention to the women in the church. This is going to be what we're going to get into tonight, women in the church. Uh, and as is Pastor Chris's custom, he loves to pick these types of passages for me. I always get the, hey, you get to preach about spanking your kids or giving, or whatever. Uh, and so this is another one that people tend to get um, been out of shape about, but a lot of times it's because it's poorly uh, poorly taught and, and, and uh, poorly interpreted. So we're going to try to do our best to not do that. So verse 9, let's dig into it. It says, likewise, right? He's, he spent a lot of time talking about the men. He says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. Modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So apparently some of the women in the church were, you know, a little wealthier, a little more hoity-toity or whatever, and, and you know, they were, uh, they were coming dressed to the nines to the point that it was a, it was a problem. Um... Now, people have taken these verses and twisted them over the years. I grew up in a tradition where women could not wear makeup or cut their hair. And basically, they I think they felt like, if you want to be righteous, you need to be homely or something. And uh, that is not what Paul's saying, right? Uh, it's not that you can't braid your hair or wear jewelry, but it shouldn't be the first thing people think of when they hear your name. And we all know someone like that, right? That, oh yeah, she's always done up, you know, like that's that's her thing, is her appearance. And just as the hypocrisy of, of an you know angry, hateful person uh, can hinder someone, uh, he says, don't let your appearance hinder someone. Right? Don't let your outward part be the you know the primary thing. Uh, and he uses a couple specific words here. Right? He says that uh, they should adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly. And this word is it's, uh, cosmios. It's, it means orderly or well-balanced, properly arranged, uh, put together. Right? It's, it's where we get the word cosmos. Our, our universe, our cosmos has an order to it, and it's put together properly where we get cos, uh, cosmetology, right? When you put on makeup, and you're putting some order to it, you know? And, and so he even says, like, it's okay. You know, don't show up dressed like you're going to Walmart. You know you know who you are, uh, wearing pajamas to Walmart. Don't do that. You know, you should be put together, and, and but um, uh, it's okay, you know? Modesty is one of those things, though, that is, almost entirely cultural. 
right? Our idea of what modest dress is is very different from, say, a tribe in Africa, which is, again, very different from someone living in the Middle East, right? So every, um, as RJ, you know, alluded to, like, there are cultural things, but we can't just throw everything out because it's cultural. So, you know, your culture kind of identifies what is modest, we can argue about what that is, but I think everybody kind of knows, right? Like I, like I always told my daughters, if don't advertise if you're not in business, you know. Um, basically, but what he's getting at, right, is, is your appearance in sync with your testimony? Right? Now, everybody has a different idea of what that should look like, but are you... Uh, does your appearance so incongruous with what it would mean to be, you know, living a, a holy life, then if so, that, that could be a problem. But he also says uh, modestly and discreetly. Right? And that word just means to avoid shame or with reverence. Right? Uh, some of you may have been in a church or grown up in a tradition where, you know, you, you had to wear your absolute best stuff to church. Right? God deserves your best. You ever heard that? And I'm like, you know that God sees you when you're in your Walmart pajamas too, right? Like, you know, uh, your best has nothing to do with the, the clothes you're putting on. But you should dress in a way that's not shameful, is, is his thing. Here's why he's bringing it up, though. Because he doesn't really address this in, in very many places in the Scripture. Ephesus was a really over-sexualized culture. Um, they were famous, you know, you've heard the, about the, the wonders of the ancient world, right? There were certain things that people would, you know, they came from all over the world to see, you know, the pyramids and whatnot. Well, one of those wonders was the Temple of Diana, or the Temple of Artemis. It's the same, the Greeks called her one thing, the Romans called her another thing. But uh, the Temple of Diana was in Ephesus, and this temple had this gigantic statue that was just covered in breast. Uh, and uh, men came from all over to, I guess, look at that. But also they would go into the, the temple of Diana and the way that you worship Diana was you would have ritualistic sex with uh, one of the temple prostitutes. And that was like a normal thing. That was like their Disney World or whatever. You know what I mean? That was the tourist attraction that you know, Orlando is known for Disney. Ephesus was known for a boob statue in prostitutes. So that was the culture in that town, and women were, they were used to dressing in a way to draw attention to themselves and to, to impress. And so as corny as it sounds, God uh, wants you to, you know, beauty comes from the inside. He wants to wants you to focus on that beauty first. But if the barn needs painting, go ahead and paint it. It's okay. Now we get into more problematic stuff. I want to I want to encourage you when you read these passages to make sure that you're reading it with the right context, with the right frame of mind. Because it's it's tempting when we read this stuff and it with a 2023 mindset to get all upset, 
This was written more in like 63 A.D., right? It's a little bit different world. Um, okay. Uh, so, anyway, uh, it doesn't, now people have not changed, but, uh, you know, the way we've used certain things has. So, verse 11, it says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. And we'll just go ahead and close there in prayer. So. Alright, so, again, not 2023, 63 AD, Roman, Greek, and even, for the most part, Jewish culture, women were property. Right? They, uh, they had no say in anything. But Christianity was revolutionary. It was so different. Because Paul says something revolutionary here, right? Some women read this and they get all up, upset and, oh, he's being a chauvinist. I'm like, no, no, no. Read it with a 63 A.D. perspective. In a time when pe women were property, when women were not allowed to speak in public, when women were not allowed to even be in public without uh, their husband or their handlers, Paul says women are to be instructed. Right? The church is different. They are to learn. That seems like a given today, but in the first century... Women were not encouraged to, to learn, to be educated in any way. Most rabbis refused to teach women. And Paul, instead, he praised women in, in his letters. Uh, he talked about um, B.B. was one of the women that he, he praised for uh, you know, her work serving the Lord. Uh, there's Junia Priscilla. Priscilla actually... Um, taught Apollos a better way, he says. And then later he brags on Apollos, you know, that everybody talks about how what a great teacher Apollos is. Well, Priscilla helped set him straight because he had some things mixed up early on in, in his ministry. So first, Paul, he says, a woman must quietly receive instruction. Or your, your translation may say she needs to receive it in silence. Either way, there, there's two Greek words you could use for this quiet or silence. Right? Uh, there's uh, sergeo, which is the absence of sound. Right? That's you know, zip it. That's the thing that you want your kids to do, but they never will. Right? Uh, or Paul uses this other word, hezukia. And this word, it's used. He used it earlier in the same chapter. In verse 2, when he was talking to the men, he commanded the men to lead quiet lives. And so he uses the word again. Right? Remember the men, they were, they were known for being argumentative and hostile. And he says, no, 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 that's not how you're supposed to be. I want you to lead a quiet life. He didn't mean, I want you to be silent. Right? He goes, I, I want you to lead this, this life that has uh, a peacefulness to it. In verse 12, he uses it again. He says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So is, is he saying, 
he just can't speak? No, he's, not, he's using a totally different word. He's using Hazukia again. He, it means settled, calm, voluntarily restrained, or peaceable. Right? I, what I want from you, or for you, whether you're a man or a woman, is to lead a quiet, voluntarily restrained, peaceable, settled, calm existence. Now, in the early church, uh, and in some traditions even still to this day, uh, I grew up in, in one like this, the, uh, the men would sit on one side and the women would sit on another. The Orthodox, uh, some of the Orthodox Jews still do this today. So the men would set one side, the women would set the other. And uh, apparently it was creating some problems in Ephesus. It also did the same thing in, in Corinth, which is a very similar culture. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, Paul says, The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Again, we can just close there. No. So what was going on, this is, a, this is where culture does matter, where context does matter. Uh, it, was, it was the role of the elders, uh, the, the, the men, the leaders of the church, uh, one of their roles was when a new teacher came in to speak, they would have to question this man. And, you know, where are you getting this information? Because remember, they didn't have the Bible app on their phone, right? There were people speaking things that we haven't written all this stuff down yet. So where are you getting your information? And is, is this true? And, you know, who are you? Where'd you come from? And, um, and so they might question the speaker uh, but normally it was supposed to happen after the message. The problem was, in some cultures, that's not how it worked. And they would just, while the guy was speaking or teaching, people would just shout out questions to see if he was legit. Uh, it was it was never okay to interrupt the teacher. As Paul, he brings it up a few times. But apparently the, the women were kind of yelling across the room, you know, to their husband, what did he mean by that? You know, and, and it's, it's this mess, this uh, chaos and confusion in church. And he says, you know what, if you have a question, wait till you get home and talk about it there. And uh, we would still hold that tradition here. If you have questions, wait till I'm done, and then we'll talk about it. You know? um, but, so we read this passage and go, well, he said women are to be silent in the church. same guy, writing the same, even the same letter to the same audience, said that women were allowed to pray and to prophesy in the church. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, says, every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one uh, and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. So now this is, we're adding more confusion to it, right? Uh, in Corinth, they, they were kind of similar to Ephesus. Uh, they had um, like a 
temple prostitute system there. And the way the prostitutes identified themselves to their potential uh, patrons was they had shaved heads. And some of those women got saved, became Christians, and they're in the church, and it takes a little while, I don't know if you've ever shaved your head, but it takes a little while for it to grow out, and Paul says, you know what, in this situation, in this culture, you guys need to cover your head up to avoid any confusion as to where your allegiance lies. Um, you know, and, and, and so Paul, as an authority in the church, said, if you're going to speak, uh, you, it needs to be done this way, in, in subjection to the authority in your church. So a woman in Corinth demonstrated she was in submission to the authority of the church by wearing a head covering. Now, would we say today that women are in sin if they don't wear a hat when they pray? No. Right? This, is, this, was a, a, this was a cultural thing. But there was a concept there, there was a precept there that Paul was, was getting at. So whatever speaking she does had to be done in submission to the authority of the overseer of that congregation. And, and in that, in Corinth, the overseer of that congregation said, I want your head covered. In Ephesus, there, there were, you know, that was not the issue. But he says, you know, we've got a different set of uh, issues in your church, and let me address it that way. So here's the big question, right? He just said they need to be silent. Um, and not, you know, not teach or exercise authority, all that stuff. Can can a woman teach in the church? Well, if her if her pastor says she can, basically, is where we where we land. Uh, now, can she be a senior pastor? Well, Paul's actually going to address that in the next chapter when he's going to talk about what the qualifications of uh, deacons and elders and pastors are. And just a little sneak preview, all of the uh, pronouns he uses are all masculine. Um, so, can she teach if her pastor says so? Uh, can she be the pastor? There are different traditions out there, but um, near as I can tell from studying the scriptures, no. That is the position of authority in the church, only uh, only given to men. And that can be that can go down sideways in our 2023 mindset, right? Now, women can lead in all sorts of spheres of of life. Uh, even in the Bible, there Deborah was was a judge. Uh, Miriam was a worship leader and a prophetess and even a political leader. Um, but there are two positions that God has ordained where men are to be in this position and women are to be in this position. And that is in the church and in the home. Well, it all comes back to the curse. And by that, I mean, back in Genesis, you remember this, this story, Adam and Eve? Please, somebody, somebody remembers that story? Okay. So, some stuff went down. We're not going to read all of that. But um, there were some repercussions to the Adam and Eve and, and the sin that they committed. 
and God gave, they basically pronounced a curse upon them. Um, and Paul's going to expound on this. We'll go back here. First Timothy 2, verse 12. He says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. You might underline that. To teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet or settled or at peace, right? To be at peace with her position. Verse 13, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Now, he's not saying this is the way it is because Adam is better than Eve. Right? This is the same guy who wrote that there is neither male nor female or you know, slave nor free when it comes to being in Christ. But none of that matters. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And so some people read that and go, oh, see, that's what it is. Women are dumb. And, and, and so they can't teach. Some people say that. I'm not saying that. This is just to clarify. Um, the woman being deceived fell into transgression. He's not knocking Eve. He's saying, Adam knew full well that he shouldn't eat this thing. And he did it anyway. Right? Eve got tricked. Adam was just like, okay, you know, and went along with it. Um, and then verse 15, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Again, not the easiest verse to interpret. Here's the thing. Paul says, look, here's what it comes down to is uh, Adam knew better, but to keep peace at home, uh, he sinned with his eyes wide open instead of doing the hard thing of saying, of, you know, God had spoken to Adam, and it was Adam's job to relay that information to Eve, and apparently he didn't, or he didn't do a good job of it. And then when Eve says, hey, we should eat this, Adam should have said, I know you want to, but no. And he didn't. He abdicated his position of authority. He sinned with his eyes wide open, and instead of doing the hard thing and being a leader, he buckled. And so as a result of that, God says, all right, since you didn't do your job, from now on, the earth will not yield its fruit to you with it, it, easily. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow. Now work is going to be hard. And you're going to not want to do it. And there's always going to be strife between you and your wife. Because you brought this on yourself. And because you wouldn't lead, now I'm commanding you to lead. In these two areas. In the home and in the church. And still today, most men do not want to assume those roles. We love power and we love authority, just not when, uh, you know, when it really matters. We don't want to lead at home because we want to just come home and sit down and let someone else make all the decisions and do everything for us because we're tired from the job that we didn't want to do because we're lazy because we're men. That's how it works. To ease... God said, uh, you're going to find now that birthing and raising a child
child is going to be full of pain. It doesn't mean that she could have had babies without pain before. That word doesn't actually mean um, delivery so much as it means rearing or raising of children. Now having kids and raising them is going to be really painful for you. And you're forever going to desire to take the lead at home and at church. But that's not the role I've designed for you. So, what are we getting at? God's will for you is that you lead a supernatural life. Right? That you that you fight against the self-destructive elements of your nature. Men, our nature is to let somebody else worry about it. Uh, you know, if it doesn't benefit me, I don't want to be in charge. And, and you know, that's... But we're, we're to war against that. And, and uh, you're supposed to lead. Not through uh, wrath and dissension, like he was talking about earlier in the chapter. Uh, but through love and prayer, things that don't come naturally to us. We don't like to talk to anybody, for the most part, or share our feelings. And he says, you know what? I want you to do that publicly and lead others in doing it. I want you to, uh, to show love when it doesn't come naturally to you. And then women, he says, you're called to learn and, and find peace without having to be in control. And you can help make the world better by raising up better men and women for the next generation. His whole point in all that, you know, the being delivered through childbirth, it wasn't that having a baby is going to save you. Because there, there are women who never have children and that's totally fine. His whole point was that this thing that, that that seems like a curse, that goes against, uh, that you know your nature is, is calling you to do this one thing, I'm calling you to do something totally different, to war against it. And so, he doesn't say women can never teach. Women can absolutely teach. Uh, I was talking with uh, Pastor Chris about this. There are different traditions, different views on this stuff. But we could all agree that uh, a woman could teach uh, Sunday school to five-year-olds, right? Ten-year-olds. They could probably lead youth groups, right? And you could just keep adding scenarios, and at what point does it become a problem? Well, the, the whole issue, he says, is I don't allow them to have spiritual authority. It doesn't mean that they can't teach. If you are gifted and called to do that, uh, and you're, you know, you're in um, working well with the authority in your local congregation, that's between you and your, your pastor. Uh, it's the holding a position of spiritual authority. That's the one thing that he said, you just naturally desire it, and I want you to fight against that desire. The bad thing about teaching this stuff is no matter how I teach it, somebody's going to be angry. But again, we've, taught, we've called this series Leadership 101. 
we're trying to find what are the leadership principles here. Right? What I could glean from this, what leadership principle I can get out of this text is this. We're all supposed to learn. And we're all supposed to teach in some way. But systems matter. Authority matters. Order matters. And so can you be subject to whatever authority it is that God has placed over you in your life? Your nature is going to fight against it. it. It naturally wants to go against whatever the authority is. But God's calling you to do something different. So even if you think you can do it better, honor the authority over you. Leave it better than you found it. And God will honor you. That's one of, that's one of the precepts or, or uh, principles that we see all through God's word. And next week, Pastor Scotty gets it. I think, is it you next week? No? It's not me, is it? All right. Well, some poor sucker next week gets to get an even more difficult text. So, um, but yeah, so um, context matters, and um, you know things are sometimes deeper than the surface may appear. Um, but uh, it's all good. It's all profitable, and it's all worth the time of digging into. All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you this evening for giving us the chance to look into your word yet again. We know that these are difficult passages that some some really struggle with, and and uh, we just pray, that, Lord, that you would help us to have humble spirits when it comes to learning your word. No one has it all figured out, but we do know that uh, you didn't come just to cause um, pain and division. The Lord, that you you want us to be drawn closer to you and to help others do the same. Lord, we just pray that you help us to understand, help us to live out the things that uh, that we learn. And Lord, we just pray you come and come quickly. And all God's people. Amen. All right, ready? Great.